views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat. Today is the 2018 live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio on the first day of Black August. In our lead story, Colorado abolitionists take Amendment T, streamline it, and put it on the ballot as Amendment A for 2018. For those who aren't familiar, Amendment T and A are both voter initiatives to remove the slavery exception clause from the Colorado state constitution. Should they succeed, it would make them only the second state in the union to formally abolish slavery without a caveat. We'll cover two new documentaries which have been released, the Trayvon Martin story and also Stranger Fruit, the Mike Brown story. And of course, We've got tons of important articles about the system of legalized slavery and those who keep it running smoothly. Now, on this day, or near this day in history, in 1834, August 1st, Slavery Abolitionist Act in British history, an act of parliament that abolished slavery in most British colonies, bring more than 800,000 enslaved Africans in the Caribbean and South Africa, as well as a small number in Canada. It received royal assent on August 28, 1833, and took effect on August 1st, 1834. Also on August 1st, in 1498, the Italian explorer, murderer, and thief, Christopher Columbus, set foot on the American mainland for the first time at Paria Peninsula in present-day Venezuela. Thinking it an island, he christened it Isla Santa and claimed it for Spain. On August 2nd, 1924, poet, writer, and activist James Baldwin, Baldwin was born in New York City, or in New York State. Also on August 2nd, 2nd, in 1920, Marcus Garvey presented his Back to Africa program in New York City. Now, in direct action news, a nationwide prison slave labor work strike is being called for on August 21st. We're only a few weeks away through September 9th. 
if you know someone inside, tell them what's going on. And if you want to help from the outside, you can contact some of the organizers at Ubuntu at gmail.com. The Right to Vote campaign, it needs your support. It's a national camp, uh, campaign being initiated by people currently confined in the United States. And this campaign grew out of the August 21st national prison strike demands, specifically point number 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is the Warsaw Abolitionist Society of New York, who formed an abolitionist political party and presented a presidential nominee. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad today is Sean Williams, a Brooklyn man who spent the last 24 years behind bars. Sean walked free Friday after a judge tossed out the indictment that put him there. As always, we have a little time and a lot of information, so be sure to follow our information on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio so you can see it in real time as we talk about the stories. Also, remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Your support is even more crucial today. It's really ride or die season. You'll find the links for today's program on our abolitionist planning page, which is available to BTR community members. If you've got a question or comment, you can call us at 704-802-5056. At 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalk radio network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Surviving, Max. I'm surviving, Max. Uh, how are you doing tonight, man? Um, You can hear it in my voice. I'm a little out of breath. You know, well, you know already that I've been dealing with some, some medical issues that have been getting progressively worse. I'm supposed to go to the doctor's next week and uh, find out just about what's going on with me and uh, I'll keep you up to date but for those who have been wondering I've been having some issues walking I really can't walk more than about 10 or 15 feet my, my knees are shot and uh, I've been dealing with this thing called Huntington's disease now for uh, quite a long time and it's began to progress and anybody familiar with Huntington's or Parkinson's knows what I'm talking about when I say it's beginning to progress. So that's what I've been dealing with lately, Scotty. And it's one of the reasons why I haven't been able to make any commitments really about doing anything other than new abolitionist radio right now. I'm just trying to get my, my health in order, you know? Didn't you mention last week that you were going to be part of a panel via Skype? How did that go? It didn't go, actually. Um, the organizers that tried to put that together out there in Nevada, uh, northern Nevada, uh, couldn't. Uh, apparently, a lot of people just didn't show up. They had a few that did show up, but it wasn't anything like they had planned. So rather than continue with the few, uh, they decided to cancel it and try to put something together at another date. I, I can't say why. Uh, I was just a panelist on this, and uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but that is what I heard. Okay. All right. Well, like you mentioned, we got a lot to cover. So if you want to jump right into it, let's go ahead with both feet. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, yeah, let's start with our lead story, man. Because, you know, that gave me some hope, Scotty. You know what I mean? It gave me some hope. Like last year, they had an on the ballot as Amendment T, and it literally lost at 
49 to 51. It was so close. And after uh, they tried to get this exception clause out of the state constitution in Colorado, uh, I guess they, they decided to go back and look at what they did wrong. And um, that cost them the vote. So this year, they're streamlining it and uh, really just making it a simple yes or no question. Uh, I guess last time they didn't do that. So this year is basically yes and no uh, to the 13th Amendment uh, version of the 13th Amendment, which is in Colorado's Constitution that says there should be no slavery or indentured servitude except for prisoners duly convicted. They want that out of there. Yes or no. As a matter of fact, Scotty, we've got a video on it uh, that's in the article itself. Uh, it's at the top of the page. <clears throat> if you want, go ahead and open up that article and we'll play the video and let them explain what they're trying to achieve. And this article comes from foxnews.com. <laughs> you know, I guess they do some good things by putting this out there and helping to promote it. Yeah, Max, keep talking. I, I, it takes a minute for these pages to load up, man. But I'm uh, opening um, you it know, now. I had proposed that we do this uh, in a simultaneous way where at least four, if not up to six states, all try to do this at the same time during the same voting period. So I'm hoping maybe 2020 that will be the case. If Colorado managed to, managed to succeed with this, it will make them the second state in the union to have abolish slavery with no caveat and will also set precedents for the remaining states that want to do the same. I mean, literally, there is no argument you can present as to why we should not take that out of the constitutions. And there's like 24 state constitutions that have that included. Um, Right. And I came across a story put out by the man, it's messing up. I got to reload the page, man, because I don't like I set my pay my browser so these uh, videos don't start up automatically when I open up a page and I'm having some trouble with it. But I found out via the ACLU, North Carolina, the state um, assembly has quietly been uh, putting forth a process to amend North Carolina's constitution, which actually does abolish slavery but has an exception clause for involuntary servitude wordplay, you know, but uh, it is one of the states that its constitution does say outright, it says slavery is abolished forever. That's what it says. And, but it says involuntary servitude as punishment for crime in a, in, in the second, you know, um, in another yeah. um, um, passage uh, uh, in the constitution. So, I was saying, so that means the process here in North Carolina would be is to try to get a coalition of sitting Senate members, House members, whatever in the North Carolina um, legislature and get them to introduce uh, an amendment because it's it's easier to change the Constitution in your state than it is to change the U.S. Constitution, not to say that you know, we we don't continue to push for the exception removal from the 13th of the U.S. Constitution, but on the state level, you know, that's that's a good place to start. In Colorado, these activists out there, these abolitionists, I should say, out there are, are just simply not allowing the issue to die. So, you know, Amendment T, unfortunately, barely 
uh, failed passage, but um, let's hope, you know, they uh, Amendment A will pass. So I, I'm going to try to yeah, play this, man. It. Well, go ahead and try it. And if you have any problems, just let me know, and I'll read it otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Let me just stop disabling something, Max. So we need to, because I'm not aware of any of the individuals that's involved out there in Colorado. Um, so, you know, it, it would be interesting to find out who they are, uh, have them come on the program if, if they can. But one of the people speaking on it is Lynn Bartels, and uh, he's a, or she's a spokeswoman for the Colorado okay, Secretary of Slavery. 155 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, slavery still exists on the books in Colorado. Well, sort of. In language almost identical to the 13th Amendment, Colorado's 1876 Constitution states, There shall never be in this state either slavery or involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime. This provision technically permits a person to be sentenced to slavery or indentured servitude if convicted of a crime. This text actually refers to penal labor. In Colorado, however, inmates are compensated for their work, even if it is between 84 cents and $1.75 per day. But the language has ruffled the feathers of some Coloradans. Therefore, lawmakers in Colorado voted to put Amendment A on the 2018 ballot. This initiative is more about changing the language to remove the slavery reference than about actual prison reform. This is the second time the initiative has been posted to voters. In 2016, experts say it failed because of confusing language on the ballot. This time, it will simply ask voters if the controversial text should be deleted or not. I think that's brilliant to simplify it because, you know, the confusion last time allowed the prison industries to offer a counter narrative. And from what I understand, their counter narrative was that these prison abolition advocates were trying to release all the prisoners in Colorado. And as many know, Colorado has the largest number of maximum security prisons in the nation. So, from what we heard from that video, it is technically correct to say that it's technically not a prison reform initiative. They're absolutely right. It's not. It's an abolitionist initiative. It's not a reformist initiative. Now, they can say, and it might be a good thing that they are saying, oh, this is just symbology just want to remove this language, get it right, you know, get the language right. It's not going to lead to anything. But once you get that in law, then come the law suits based on the Constitution and violating the constitutional rights of Coloridians or North Carolinians or whatever state we may be successful in uh, amending these constitutions, Max. You're absolutely right, Scotty. It is an abolitionist movement. They make no, uh, they leave no doubt about what they're about. In the final statement of the article, it says this could be a watershed moment for changing the language of the 13th Amendment, and that's what they're they're trying to accomplish. They're thinking, 
on a, a larger scale than most normally would, which is why I said we should have four or six states doing it simultaneously. The point isn't just to get this exception clause taken out of your state constitution. The point is to get it taken out of the federal constitution as well and to have slavery in a legal term and legalized as it is now removed from our constitution. That, as Scotty Reed pointed out, will give us the opportunity now to start challenging the slave-like conditions in court and to start challenging the uh, slave catcher-like activities of the police and to start challenging the slave trade-like system of selling uh, stocks in human bondage through for-profit private prisons. So we could start addressing all these things in courts. And, and that, that's my choice, to be honest with you, because the alternative is the freaking civil war. So we really got to be working towards avoiding all of this uh, just unnecessary drama and trying to solve these things like intelligent, civilized people. I'm just saying. Let me read some of this article, too, because, like I said, they don't leave no question about what I they're mean, trying I, to get I done. agree with you, Max. I agree with you. You know, when we first started working together, you was an anarchi- anarchist. Still you, am. You still am an anarchist. But you also see, well, working through the system that we have, the political system. And I know we like to demonize it. It's not the system, people. It's the people that's running it. It's a very simple concept of voting for elected representatives and those representatives uh, uh, representing the interests of the communities that that elected them. But what we have is a perversion of that. But there's no reason for us not to use those means available. You know, we was reading on, uh, the guys was reading last night on Real Life Radio talking about the little town where all the black women was running the entire criminal justice system. I think this is down there in Georgia. Now, I'm not one to believe that based on a person's skin color, that means they're going to practice justice and not practice slavery. But it is a model. Just take skin color out of the equation and put abolitionists versus reformists in the equation or abolitionists versus slaver in the equation. We should be taking over these local institutions. And when I say we, I mean the abolitionists, people who believe in justice, because the only alternative is, is for us to just keep complaining and shooting down people's ideals or whatever they're doing that they know to do, um, you know, to uh, push a system of justice um, is a, another civil war. And I think what, 700,000 people died in that. And I'm not saying that ending slavery isn't a, a sacrifice worthy blood. I'm just saying I'd rather not it come to that. You know, right. when I hear people just the other day, I was talking about stop talking about it's a race war in America. You've never even been in a war zone. I have been in a war zone. My dad's been in a war zone. A couple of my uncles and cousins have been in war zones. In, in war, there it's like two militias or opposing armies who are whose main objective is to kill each other. We don't have a race war going on in America. And and you know, if we're going to go to war, I'm not I'm not signing up for no skin color war. 
I will sign up for a civil war to end slavery, but go ahead, Max. I ain't mean to belabor the point. You're right, Scotty. We're not in a war. We're in a system of resistance. War, a war is not where somebody comes in and slaughters you when they feel like it. A war is not when, you know, people just murder you, your men, your women and children at, at a whim. That's not a war. That's genocide. And we're victims of freaking genocide and slavery. And there's a resistance and there's always has been a resistance. But like you said, 700,000 died in the Civil War, which was the largest slavery rebellion in the history of the United States. We're talking about 320 million people in this country, not to mention it's become a very small world that includes a lot of other nations. When you're talking about a civil war in the United States over slavery, you're talking about mass genocide, millions of people dead, not hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And I don't want to do that. I got, man, my son who just got out of prison after 15 years, Scotty, he's got a baby on the way. And they told me that it's very likely this uh, latest grandchild of mine will be born on my birthday. I don't want none of my grandchildren to experience a freaking war. Why the hell would I want that? None. I mean, you know, if it's necessary, I'll be right there. But until it happens, we have alternatives. So let me read this article rather than rant. <laughs> Some of it, so you under- people understand more about it. It says Amendment A is more about changing the language to remove the slavery reference than the about actual prison reform. This won't have a direct impact on prison reform or how inmates are treated, Allen said, but it is definitely more impactful than removing something like a Confederate monument because this will actually change the text of a living document. The failure to pass the 2016 amendment that sought to scrap the same exception and also enjoyed wide bipartisan support from lawmakers in Denver has been blamed on the way the ballot measure was written. Shall there be an amendment to the Colorado Constitution concerning the removal of the exception to the prohibition of slavery and involuntary servitude when used as a punishment for persons duly convicted of a crime? Question mark. I mean, and it was all one sentence. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that could be confusing. And they say the wording led to widespread confusion, which post-election data indicated that many voters just left the question blank on their ballots and declined to answer the no votes actually garnered 50.2% compared to 49.7% for yes. The language is so confusing, said Lynn Bartels, a spokeswoman for the Colorado Secretary of State's office. They told the Denver Post after the election, my own sister called me and said, I'm a no vote, right? Because I don't want slavery. And I said, no, you're a yes vote. To make sure there is no confusion this time around, lawmakers have put on the ballot the entirety of the section 26 of article 2 of the state's constitution with except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted struck through the text it will then ask voters to answer yes or no to whether the text should be deleted two years ago we lost by slim margin and it was because of the language on the ballot and the placing on the ballot Allen said this time around I don't see that happening also uh, Allen also said that with similar language in the Constitution on numerous states and in the 13th Amendment, he believes that passing this ballot measure in Colorado could spur changes elsewhere. This could be a watershed moment for changing the language of the 13th Amendment, he said. Dude, I'm Scotty. Come on, man. Direct influence. Direct influence, right? Yeah. And and simplifying it, there's a political term for that. Keep it simple, stupid. 
and it's used in other contexts. So, you know, it, it is best because you got to recognize that everybody in the United States, I, I don't know the exact figures, but literacy in the United States, reading comprehension, I mean, you can just deserve that for those who engage in a lot of social media uh, how people, you know, miscomprehend things or whatnot. So it is, you know, when you're talking about uh, changing the law, and in this case, the Constitution, which is the law of the land in the in the jurisdiction of Colorado, yeah, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And, and great ideal, whoever this, you know, ideal it was to add the illustration with the actual text so they can see it. And Scotty, it straight I wouldn't through. be surprised to see a picture of the Constitution on brown paper with a white background and a whiteout across the part that they want to take out exactly as you have been putting out for years. Since we first started New Africa. Yeah, for that's going on seven years now, I've been putting out that, that meme. And, and that's what they're doing, that exact image. Not necessarily the exact image, but same thing. Same right, thing. right, right. And that's why I said direct influence. Even the part about, you know, the other state constitution. Like, nobody was talking about how states had an additional exception clause in their constitutions until we came out with America is Ferguson and, and then uh, before that actually with uh, studying the state's constitution state by state until we found out there were 24 states with this shit in it and they only use, only use three words to get around slavery there's only three words they use it's except it's otherwise and it's uh, except otherwise and in the Lord I can't remember the third word Scotty help me out man I'll get back to it later. Scotty's like, what the hell are you doing? Lock, missing, the, right? uh, I'm sorry. The like. Otherwise and accept. That's it. Unless, in, in the like, we can accept. put you in the slavery for the like. What, what was that in Georgia? Well, they Cont- use accept, and that's Vermont. Vermont has the worst constitution of all, and they are the forerunners of the 13th Amendment. That's where it came from, for Vermont. And Vermont's constitution allows you to be enslaved for the like, in reference to... Uh, <laughs> fines and fees. For they the had just like. mentioned what that you can hell? be enslaved for fines and fees and then they say for the like and I don't even know what for the like is. <laughs> to my liking I guess to their liking the people it's in It's crazy power. but that's where the 13th Amendment was born right there in the 1777 state of Vermont's constitution. But they I thought the, are you know, heralded as being the first to abolish slavery but they weren't the first to abolish slavery they were the first to show you how to get around abolishing slavery. But wait a minute, Max. I thought you had said that the Northwest Territory, whatever states that composes of now, was just a territory, meaning that we were out here and we, you know, murdered a bunch of people and took their land. But the ter- the Northwest Territory had an exception clause that would predate Vermont, right? No, that that was t- actually 10 years after Vermont. 10 years after. Okay, thanks for the clarification. Right. Um Otis, if you have a question or comment, um, I see in the chat um, on this conference line, star star. Once you get to, uh, if you would like to ask a comment or a question, so to all the listeners, if you would like to chime in, 704-802-5056, hit star star. Please watch your background noise, Max. You know, here's another interesting thing that I found today, and I mentioned it in our today in history uh, part. And that's about Christopher Columbus and the anniversary of him landing in, over there um, in Venezuela in, in 1498. But it also uh, dawned on me that what he said after landing there in his journal was the first mention of the intent 
to use the Americas as a bastion and industry of the slave trade. And it kind of shocked me. And I was talking to Sharon Smith about it. She was like, you know, you're absolutely right. That probably is the first mention of it. In his journal in uh, 1498, he said, here is how Christopher Columbus described the Arawak tribal people living in the Bahamas when he landed there in 1492. They bought us parrots and balls of cottons and spears and many other things which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawks' bells. They willingly traded everything they owned. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword, and they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. That's Christopher Columbus, 1492, in his own journal, after meeting the Arawak tribal people, saying that if I had 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. Huh? Yes, yeah, so I said I was okay. Uh, journal of fourteen ninety three. <laughs> Scotty, what do yeah, you think? Does that sound like it's the a first lot. mentioned to you? I mean, he he actually wrote his crimes down. I mean, he had the mentality that I'm not doing anything wrong. And remember when word of his brutality got back again, he also wrote about. Uh, exporting these women and girls as sex slaves and gave each of his officers on the ship that included some Moors who I read were, who were possibly on that ship. But he, he was writing all this stuff down and then some other people told what he was doing, how he was slaughtering these people. And he, he spent some time in prison himself uh, for his crimes against humanity for which I felt like he should have been put to death but hey, he did he did open up a, a great revenue source for these people. So you know he basically got a slap on the on the wrist when he should have lost his head. You know if you talking if you talking about morality and justice and what have you. But yeah, he wrote a lot about his crimes, man. And and you know people who are into idolatry because he has a statue in Boston. I know. Um, I think it was Black Lives Matter Boston had throw red paint on it on his statue that's like near the harbor there in Boston but uh, these Italian Americans man a lot of them they ride or die for this war for this this man you know he, he, he I don't like to compare people but he's gotta be he's gotta be in the top five of the most depraved individuals in history that have committed human rights crime on it uh, him Hitler and, and, you know, Mussolini, we could debate the rest, but Columbus got to be on that list. He got to be top five. He's in the early initial conditions of creation. And when you look at over time, all the genocides, the land theft, the enslavement, the murders, and all of these different horrible things that can be traced back to him landing here. <laughs> like, the first initial conditions is this sociopath. So you can continue to add bodies to his body list right now because he's responsible for much of it. Well, yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing, Scotty, and to hear the first uh, public intent to use the Americas as a bastion of slavery. And, you know, Columbus made three different trips. The first one that everybody's aware of with the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria and then, you know, 1492. But then in 1498 was the first time 
he stepped foot on the American mainland, uh, and that was Venezuela. And then, even then, he was uh, there to commit crimes. I mean, he came uh, with goods and warfare and colonialists to be able to take this land by any means necessary. Their, their intent was to colonize all of this and take it all, and they did. All right, Scotty. Well, I got a few things that I want to cover this uh, evening, a couple of those being the documentaries that are coming out. You know, I'm always happy to hear more and more of these documentaries that are coming out and really breaking down the circumstances of what has been going on in individual cases. Yeah, those are real, real powerful. And in the past, Black Talk Media Project has helped sponsor the Hip Hop Film Festival um, up in New York City. Um, Charlotte Capers is the one who uh, visualized that, made it happen. Had had some, you know, gotten some nice sponsors. Netflix was their sponsor one year, and uh, we have uh, sponsored them by helping them get out the word and what have you. Uh, but I've been thinking, you know, that's the direction I need to take Black Talk Media Project in is documentaries. There's a lot of stories that have not been told. I mean, we can make a documentary, for example, on on un, you know you know the um uh, the cable program Unsung when they you know show you these artists who had a one hit record or something like that or or yes. or, or was a popular group but didn't quite get reach the uh, star star power of a Prince. A Michael Jackson, a Whitney Houston. Maybe got all that and just don't get no respect for right. whatever reason. And, there's, and there are a lot of unsung abolitionists. And you could just make a whole documentary, you know, uh, on, on abolitionism. I didn't know that Samuel P. Chase, who I think, um, I don't want to, yeah, he ran for president, but he didn't become president. Uh, he also challenged. He was he challenged Lincoln for the Republican Party's nomination, but he was a staunch abolitionist man, and um, he had a long record in, in, in government. So he was like uh, among the first nominees for the. And how I came across this history is, you know, you got this black Republican dude out of South Carolina, Donald Trump, you know, supporter and what have you, and. He said that he put out on Twitter that um, the Republican Party started as a party to advance the rights of black people. And I know that wasn't true. It was founded as a abolitionist platform. OK, did not. Would that affect black people the most? Of course, certainly it would. But it was not put forth as a black and white issue, you know, as we talk about them today. It was an abolitionist platform and Samuel uh, P. Chess. Chase was, uh, man, he was like a radical abolitionist, and Lincoln represented the moderates. And so how the uh, Republican Party was formed was between some Whigs, I forget the full name of the Whigs, and the Free State Democrats. So these people that want to talk about Republican versus Democrats, Democrats founded the Republican Party. They were called Free State Democrats because of a a proposal or a uh, legislation put forth by uh, Lincoln's pen pal buddy Stephen. What's his name? Judge uh, uh, Stevens out of South, out of Georgia. Uh, yes. <coughs> so Stevens was trying to make the new territories slave states. 
And free state Democrats wanted, no, these going to be free. No, we stopping slavery in its track. That's how the Republican Party was formed. But to make, make you know, get to my main point is, it's a lot of material out there in Black Talk Media Project, man. I'm trying to, uh, you know, learn more about that process. I'm taking a couple of online courses and get into documentary. And they ain't got to be long documentaries, 13 minutes, an hour. You know, it, 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 so it varies, man. So, yeah, documentaries are great. Great too. Yeah, I, I think so. I, at least the crop that really have been rising to the top that we've been seeing really shows some very good stories. And, and more often than not, they are leaning towards abolitionism. Uh, you know, like the story about the brother out there in Rikers. Uh, Scotty, it's one of those days where I keep losing my, my thoughts. Uh, what was the young 16-year-old dude out there in Riker's name? Um, Khalif Browder. Browder. Khalif Browder, yes. The Khalif Browder story that came out uh, that was uh, put together partially by Jay-Z. Well, there's another one that's coming out now. Uh, Jay-Z's doing the Trayvon Martin story. That came out either yesterday or the day before yesterday. And then there's another one called Stranger Fruit, which is about Mike Brown. And it's really based around the information that there was more to the story that was portrayed uh, whereas uh, they showed that the person at the convenience store, I don't know if he was the manager or teller or owner, but in any case, he had a drug deal going on with Mike Brown, and its dispute came from that. And, you know, everything about uh, the reason that he was stopped was behind this he tried to rob the store thing, when that wasn't the case at all, and it's all on video. Yeah, and I um... that his mother now is calling for a reinvestigation or a retrial because she's saying that you know half the information wasn't even in, and y'all had already done this, uh, considered right. this was a done deal, and right. now here's more information. Yeah, it shows the whole investigation as a, a sham with Bob McCullough, the prosecutor. I don't know if he still is the prosecutor. He shouldn't be, but um, you know it was a it, it was a sham, and most of the public, I think, the objective public. Well, knew it was a sham investigation, but this documentary though uh, uncovers that evidence and makes it public, um, and that's why Miss McFadden is, is calling for a new trial on the basis of the information presented in this documentary. So, telling stories is powerful, and and using media, you know, to get it across to the masses. So, uh, uh, Color of Change is circulating that petition um, for. Uh, the appointment of a special prosecutor and, and color of change been circulating that. Uh, I got one in my email. I signed it and passed it on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think it should be reopened. There's a clip uh, or rather a, a promo for the movie, a trailer that uh, we can listen to now. If you like Scotty Reed, I put it in the chat room there and it's a trailer from stranger fruit, which is the documentary where we're referencing here. And uh, we could listen one to it together. There was one line the on there that really, that really touched my heart. There you go. One night when reading through the St. Louis County investigation papers, I stumbled along something that was absolutely stunning. At approximately 1.13 a.m. August 9th, a male arrived as a backseat passenger in a dark-colored passenger vehicle. 
Brown enters and exits the front doors. Brown enters and exits the front doors? Michael was at the market at 1.13 a.m. the night before he died? Camera 7. The male proceeds to the beverage cooler, selected unknown items, and proceeded to the register. The male remains at the counter and eventually leaves the area of the registers with no merchandise. I couldn't believe what I had read. Michael was in the store the night before he died. And St. Louis County saw the videotape. And they didn't tell us. Well, guess what, St. Louis County? I've got the videotape. I was surprised to hear that two years later, there was a video. What you're going to see on this video is what they didn't show us happened that clarifies that there was an understanding. And that's what you're going to see in that video. In the early hours of August 9th, just 11 hours before Mike took his last steps, he went to his local convenience store to make an exchange. Look carefully at the counter and you can see a trade is made. Mike gives the store a little bag of weed. You can see the employees smelling it and passing it around. There was some type of exchange for one thing for another. That these people know each other well enough that this is the relationship that they have. Then you can clearly see Mike being given two big boxes of cigarillos. The store clerk puts the cigarillos into a bag for Mike with his other stuff and hands it over the counter. Mike is about to leave the store, but decides to have the clerk hold his things behind the counter for him. The next day, with his hands politely behind his back, Mike goes back into the store to get his stuff. It was a misunderstanding. St. Louis County has written documentation that we found which shows they saw the 1.13 a.m. videotape, but they leave out what really happened that night in their report. Mike traded the store a little bag of weed and got two boxes of cigarellos in return. He left his items at the store and he went back the next day to pick them up. Mike did not rob the store. Well, that's the clip from Stranger Fruit, uh, and documentary on the additional information regarding Mike Brown. And, you know, I find it very uh, telling that the guilty dogs are barking loudest, because right now, Bob McCullough is calling this video pathetic. And he said it's an attempt to twist the events of that evening. And uh, they're not denying that the footage is real. They're saying that he moved the footage around somehow to make it seem incriminating. When it's right there for everybody to see, and they have the same tapes that uh, the police have and that the Department of Justice has. Yeah, can't wait to see it, Max. Um, that right there. And I knew when I saw the video, uh, you know, I immediately thought, you know, something was up. There was some kind of street market exchange, and this happens every day. And I'm sure some would try to use the weed to demonize, further demonize Mike Brown. Um, but we just got what that was about because the public, the court of public opinion, uh, mainly Fox News and other conservative outlets used the video that the police did release and the prosecutor release the prosecutor released to the public. Give me just a moment, Max. Um, we got a lot of people in the chat that have not logged in and sometimes they like to try to interfere with the uh, broadcast. So let me remove those. Can you still hear me, Max? 
Yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, so you know now we got the story that because they use that as a huge part to demonize Mike Brown in the court of public opinion, which gives cover to the prosecutor for whatever injustice they about to hand down and say, hey, look, he's pushing the guy. He's a thug. He was robbing the store. He had just robbed the store. Because remember, they said that, if I remember correctly, that Darren Wilson was responding, that a call had went out or, or something. Um, you know, even though initially it was about him jaywalking and, and, and officers so-called friendly, you know, concerned about somebody's safety, threatening people for walking in the street. And and so yeah, man, it, it's it's great to see that this prop this uh um video is coming out or this documentary. Look, we got a call, man, from uh, New Jersey. Uh, looks like a, a person by the name of Ian wants to join us. Uh, um, could be somebody else, but welcome to New <laughs> Abolitionist Radio. We got about fifteen minutes, Max, to the top of the hour. Hey, uh, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, hey, sir. Peace, we can peace, peace, brothers. All right. Well, first of all, no, I'm most certainly Ian. Uh, I was actually invited by by the brother Otis Griffin uh, to join. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I hey, thank you very much. So I don't know if I may have interfered with anything because I'm new to this whole uh, Uber uh, conference thing. I've never utilized it before, so it's I apologize all good, brother. my presence. Don't, don't uh, worry about but, it. We have uh, some. This is very interesting. People. This is. I, I, I'm loving this forum. I'm loving the conversation and the topic. I'm 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 I'm, I'm always a student, uh, you know, uh, as well a student, in the, and and I and, and I do a weekday show uh, on the radio that I go live on as well. And that's how that's how myself and Otis met, and 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 he introduced me to you, brother. So I just wanted to just say, uh, you know, I'm glad to know about this forum. I plan on participating moving forward. I'm definitely going to have some questions, uh, you know, because I'm trying to. Uh, help improve my broadcast and video and audio myself on mine because I don't know what I'm doing. It's just a labor of law. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, a labor of love for me. So, uh, but I just wanted to say thank you for this uh, platform, and and I'm just going to sit back and listen. Well, thank you, Ian. We appreciate that, uh, brother. And indeed, this is the only thing we talk about here on this program. It's uh, modern day slavery and human trafficking, particularly through the 13th Amendment and how it's been allowed. And it's a conversation that you really can't find elsewhere. For some reason, nobody else wants to talk about it, regardless of how clear cut that information is. Not on, not on a consistent, not on a consistent basis. Not on a consistent basis. Yes. Since we started this, we have seen this message spread. There's no doubt about that. And we're talking about that now with some of these uh, actions that are occurring in Colorado as well as these documentaries that are coming out but it still isn't enough by comparison in a long way. Uh, we just showed last week where our deceased brother who was murdered, Muyadine Debaha was talking on MSNBC about the 13th Amendment and they shut him down for that because that's not something that they really want this country to even consider the fact that we might still be legally using slavery. I'd like to know what program you have or what is your, your show um, and how can our listeners tune in? Yeah, I had put him back on mute, but for new listeners, um, if you have a question or comment, give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit star star. That will unmute you on the board. We'll see you. We'll come to you. 
but please watch your background noise. We're going to toss it back to Ian. I see he's unmuted. Uh, Ian, did you want to respond? Well, yes, I wanted to answer the question. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for the question. I uh, again, it's a labor of love. It's 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 a uh, it's uh, it's called Our Community Talk Radio. I have a, I have a group page on Facebook, Our Community Talk 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 Radio group. I am I am currently on. This is the last week that I am on 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Starting starting next week, I will be on from 12 p.m. To 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and and when I'm on, I also go live on Facebook, uh, via 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 video. So and and that's done through my, I have a personal page under under, under my name as you have in a group exactly spelled that way. It's Ian Burroughs, and I would love to, because uh, I love having conversations such as this and myself and this and and again this this uh, good brother Otis bonded bonded through my show. And he knows this is the type of these are the type of conversations I like to bring I like to bring to our community and having these real conversations and bring and bring awareness about these things and educate us because you know in the uh, in the struggle we need we definitely need to be uh, educated and in order in order to be properly prepared so uh, you know forums like this you know I'm definitely down to jump in on and I'm willing to help build and, and network and everything else that we need to do to help each other spread you know spread the information indeed thank you very much and i would love and, and i and i would love to have i would love to have you guys on the show uh, uh, uh in the near future just the same that, that would be a good idea um as you mentioned for us the purpose is to get the information out and god bless otis because he does stuff like this often him and a number of other people who will constantly send someone our way who is on the cusp or maybe might somewhat understand what's going on and they just need a little push, you know what I mean? And he'll send them our way. And before you know it, we got more abolitionists running around here. Because once you look at that 13th Amendment and you read it for yourself, the 47 words, it's really difficult to n deny what you're reading, especially if the bug has been put in your ear already that there's an exception in there. Uh, so, you know, once you get that in your head, it, you just extrapolate from there. Okay, if this is the case, then... What is it connected to? And then you start looking at the prison system. You realize that we have the largest prison system in the history of humanity on planet Earth. And you trace it back to the convict leasing systems. And you go, wow, this has been happening since 1865. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and now like it's just it, out of control. That's when, mm -hmm. when you view it through the context of the 13th, the so-called immigration refugee issue is is has a slavery uh, incentive to it with the private prisons uh, making a lot of profit and you know just what we reported on some of the nefarious things they did even one company getting caught bringing uh, people across the border uh, just so they could get locked up in a private prison so yeah uh, uh, Max yeah, Very I believe important. someone once said that the problem with private prisons is that it creates demand for prisoners. Right. That's not limited to private prisons because a lot of these state federal prisons are also... Yeah, that's uh, how they employ right. a lot of the unemployed, uh, uneducated populations. It don't take a, a college graduate to be a modern-day prison plantation uh, overseer or guard or foreman or whatever you know you want to call them. These are job creators. I mean, the tentacles are, are really, really out there, man. Yes. And that's what the brother last week was, uh, on the program we were talking about, the, uh, this, 
the separation in our own communities along that line. So you got you got people who will support this 100%, and then you got people who know exactly what it is, and like, why the hell are you doing that to your own people? I think we were talking about that in regards to what's occurring in places like Detroit, oh, Philadelphia, and such. Uh, let me address something that Ian has shared in a, a chat for clarification. He said he's not sure if he misheard an earlier comment for clarity. Uh, purpose of the Civil War was not to abolish slavery. And, and technically, that's correct. Um, but I say the Civil War started to preserve slavery because it was the Confederates who first fired on Fort Sumner, uh, uh, which was, you know, housing federal troops. So, um, you know, we definitely know the history here. And so they didn't believe Lincoln. I mentioned Stevens earlier. Stevens, uh, Lincoln was pleading with Stevens to convince his fellow Southern slave slave uh, traders and, and human traffickers, pleading with them to 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 not think that he was going to try to interfere with them in their quote-unquote property and that you think that we want to abolish slavery when no, we just want to limit it. We don't want it to become part of the new territory. See, Lincoln was that moderate versus Samuel P. Chase who wanted the entire United States to be free, you know, that uh, lost the nomination to Lincoln. So Lincoln pleaded with them and the South didn't believe him. So they, uh, they, uh, what was it? They fired the first shots um, on Fort Sumner. So they started the Civil War to preserve uh, slavery, and Lincoln entered it to preserve the Union. Most definitely, we know that's true. Um, his intent was never to abolish slavery, and he did not. Hence, why we have the Thirteenth Amendment today. That was that that final concession. Hey, I told y'all at the beginning of this thing I wasn't trying to end slavery, but you know, um, the only way we could defeat y'all was to get a bunch of former slaves and free black people and white abolitionists, uh, you know, to to join the effort. Was if I uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation and and you know pretend like I'm all about one hundred percent. Uh, end of slavery. When, so, you know, he, he was definitely a politician and what have you. But yeah, for clear, for clarification, you know, it just depends on the individual as well. For that former victim of slavery, like Harriet Tubman, who was in the Union Army as a spy and actually led uh, troops in battle and freeing people from a plantation. For her, it, the Civil War was about slavery. For those 200,000 or so uh, black troops. It was about ending slavery, or else they wasn't even going to join the war. So, so, but you know, it is it, it is complex uh, history. So I hope that I didn't further, you know, um, uh, muddy the water, so to speak, and that we have uh, clarity on what we mean. Yeah, you know, uh, Lincoln said that if he could uh, end the war without freeing freeing a single slave, he would have done that. He wasn't there to end slavery. What he was there to was to restrict it, like Scotty said. Um, they thought uh, in the letter that he wrote to Justice Stevens, he said that the only difference between us is that you think that slavery should be available to all and expanded, and we think that it's wrong and should be restricted. And when he was talking about restricted, he was referring to the uh, exception clauses that had already been in effect applied and applied to indentured servitude, beginning with the European indentured servitude that was going on in places like Vermont. That was a very successful way 
of using slavery. And then they advanced that onward to the 13th Amendment and applied it primarily to African Americans. As a matter of fact, uh, within two years after the 13th Amendment was passed uh, in 1863, I think the 13th Amendment was, I may be wrong. In any case, after the 13th Amendment was passed, within two years, many of the prisons in the South went from being 90% white to 90% black, just in two short years. And convict leasing began to go into a boom period all the way to 1928 when Alabama was allegedly the last state to abolish convict leasing. And now we hear uh, out in, what is that, Sugar Sugarland, Texas, where their whole history of convict leasing, which was basically slavery by another name, is being exposed. The whole city was built on nothing but slavery. All their wealth, all their power is uh, completely coming from their convict leasing system using slaves for sugarcane. So, yes, Lincoln didn't want to end slavery. He wanted to keep the union together. That was his main thing. And he was a professed white supremacist. On more than one occasion, he has stated that very clearly. Uh, and he was a lawyer as well. And with that loophole that was given to him literally by an abolitionist out of Ohio, a governor, or not a governor, a congressman, who was an abolitionist out of Ohio, gave the freaking exception clause to uh, Lincoln. And if you read the first draft of it, he was very serious about this whole convict leasing thing. The second draft is what we have now. I think on our last program, we read his first draft. Wasn't it last week, Scotty? I don't recall, Max. Yeah, we read the first draft of the Emancipation Proclamation last week on the air. And it was the the draft that had only been heard by himself and his aides when he was working on it. So we have the second draft, which was put into place uh, later on. And also, if anybody wants to learn more, I have an article that I wrote and is available on the Black Talk Radio Network. It's called Breaking Down the Deceptions of the 13th Amendment. And I really go into detail there, including links and sources and things like hey, that. Uh, so, Max, before we go back to the phone lines, I see Otis on the line. Shout out to you. Uh, let's take an early break so we don't have to, uh, you know, um, worry about time. Okay, sounds good to me, Scotty Reed. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, where we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment. We'll be right back after these messages. Scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. I'd also like to point out uh, from our last conversation here, or this statements here, that I have another article called The Long Binding Chains available on Black Talk Radio Network, which traces the history of convict leasing. Hey, Max, uh, before you get into the article, 
Oh, let's go. No, I'm not to getting the... into it. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I was just pointing out that I have it in case anybody wants to read it. Oh, okay. If you could post it in the chat, um, I'm sure some people yes. will check it out. And it's also on New Abolitionist Radio in case anybody wants to check it out. But those two things really break down the whole system as it works. So, Scotty, we have other callers. And yeah, like Otis, to chime in as Otis, well, is in, Otis is in the queue. Peace and welcome home, Brother Otis Griffin. Thank you very much for the uh, reference. Oh, hello, my comrades in arms. Behind these enemy lines, as Scotty says, I just wanted to make a note that that letter from December the 22nd, 1860, of uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, responding to Alexander Stevens' uh, letter to him. And I'm only going to read the last paragraph, but it's only three paragraphs long. He said, okay. the South would be in no more danger in this respect than if it was in the days of Washington. I suppose, however, this is, does not meet the case. You think slavery is right or to be extended, while we think it's wrong and ought to be restricted. I suppose is the rub. It certainly is the only substantial difference between us. So there is no question that Abe was not concerned with abolishing slavery. He was concerned with preserving the Union. That's all I wanted to do since you were on that subject. You're absolutely right. Uh, that was his main concern, and he was very clear about that. Uh, and uh, historians do agree. But uh, they don't understand, or maybe they pretend not to understand, as we have seen through people who are allegedly experts on the 13th Amendment now, having now, just, uh, you panel know, discussions. Just for historical reference, as we have uh, certainly highlighted John Brown and his sons, and, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Elijah. Um, Man, what what's his name? I don't want to say his real name. It's his his uh media name, personality name. Our our former host. Oh, you're talking about uh Johannes Johannes John Coolidge. Yeah, yeah, Brother John, John Coolidge. Coolidge. I didn't want to say his real name, but Johannes is what our listeners yeah, know right. know him as. Um, but you know, he often talked about that history of Kansas and Missouri and the border wars. This was all going on during the backdrop of this. This is when John Brown and his sons was putting broadswords through the backs of slavers. We've read some of those stories over the years of how serious John Brown was about uh, abolition. So while all of this was going on, um, you know, to lead these letters between Lincoln. Lincoln did everything he could to try to avert a war um, and to assuage these uh, people in the South, these slavers, the aristocracy but uh, or slavocracy. But um, that's how strong their desire was to accumulate wealth by exploiting and victimizing human beings. They wanted to, slavery to expand. You know, you can't limit my right as a white man to go to the new territories and trade slaves and whatnot. What? No. Yeah, man, that was the rub between them. And Lincoln needed the support because again, Republican party was founded as an abolitionist platform, but like every movement, you got your radicals, you got your moderates and what have you. And the moderates won out in terms of uh, Lincoln getting the nomination and thus becoming president. But, um, I mean, some of them early Republicans, man, they were definitely radical, uh, which, you know, uh, of course, Frederick Douglass was among them. 
Indeed, man. Well, if anybody else wants to join the conversation, now is a good time. Uh, after we do that, then we're going to move on to the other uh, documentary that is coming out regarding the uh, Trayvon Martin story that's being published or produced by Jay-Z and company. And we've got a clip for that. So before we get out of that, if you have a question or a comment or you want to join in the conversation or share some information, now is a good time. All right, Scotty. Uh, there's a video, and I had put it in the chat room a little earlier. Let me scroll up and pull it back. It's, it's up just a little ways. The first, the last link that I put up there, and it's a video for a video clip or a preview for the new documentary. If you want to pull that up, are you talking about the Actually, one I'll on Black Talk Radio? You may not be able to get it. Here it is. Are you talking about the one on Black Talk Radio? No, that's not. That's something. Else. All right, Scotty. There's a fresh link for you. All you got to do is click and play. And uh, we'll listen to this preview, this trailer from the new documentary, uh, Jay-Z film, to recount the fatal killing of hooded African-American boy, which stoked global tensions. And that's the headlines according to Face to Face Africa. And they're saying that uh, it, uh, it just happened July 30th, the beginning of a six-part docuseries detailing the life of Trayvon Martin, titled Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story and it premiered on the 30th on the Paramount Network and, uh, what I'm reading here the project is produced by Jay-Z as well as Martin's parents Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin and uh, the Weinstein company along with Harvey Weinstein were originally producers on the film and uh, the Weinstein entity was removed amid his rape allegations and they go on to tell you about it. His life. Anyway, here's the trip. Hey, what's his name? Trayvon Martin. Stanford Police Department. Hey, there's a real suspicious guy. These always get away. There's someone How many more kids will? We wait for them to kill. My tears collecting like raindrops on a windowsill. This kid was profiled, pursued, and shot in the heart. George Zimmerman claimed self-defense. Standing his ground. It just polarized the country. We were overcome with fear and anger. Trayvon became the face of our community. We had to go to war for him. Rest in power. Rest in paradise. To all the babies too young to have had to pay the price. You choose to grieve or to fight. It took my son being shot down to make me stand up. Rest in power. Rest in paradise. You have become a symbol in the spirit life. All right, there you have it. That is the trailer. It's probably much uh, more effective on a visual level, at least listening to it. I'm like, yeah, you need to see the images with that. Uh, but it's a docudrama that's coming out, and the first uh, six parts has already been aired. I haven't personally seen it. If you've seen it, uh, please call and let us know. Oh, Max, Scotty? Max, check the board. You have another caller. Um, okay. Let's see here. All right, uh, another caller. Is that the 919? No, the one that's unmuted. That's Ian again. Oh, okay, yeah. I, you know, I, I usually don't handle the board. I'll be going through my pages trying to get my information. But, uh, yeah, what's up, Ian? You got something else you want to add? Sure, man. Hey, hey, look, I, I don't mean I don't mean monopolize it. You know, I'm just excited yeah, just okay, to brother. be like in the room. You know, but you know, it's, it was a very interesting part part of the clip that we just listened to. 
which I which I which I presented on air to our community, we have to stop being reactionary. The mother in her video said specifically, it took the tragedy of my son for me to take a stand. And we constantly are doing this bass backwards way of dealing with these situations. Like we're constantly waiting for a hashtag and then we react. And we wait for the next hashtag and then we react. In her case, the hashtag was her son. It took her son who wasn't the first hashtag, but it took her son for her to stand up and get involved. And we have to, and that mentality is, is long old, right? You know, it's long, it's long been played out. And, 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 and I'm trying to really shake, shake, uh, shake, shake, rattle and roll our, our, our people to stop being reactionary. Like we, are, we should be revolutionary. This is, you know, that's obviously not the right way for us. You to know, play. Uh, Ian, you know, I think, to, I think part of the problem is that there is a very, I I can't say how large that voice is, but it's a loud voice that when we portray, when we use words like the system, and I use it myself, you know, as a metaphor, just to keep, you know, my words condensed and what have you. But when we portray the system as this insurmountable entity almost like a living, breathing being, and it's just supreme, you know. That's why I sometimes try to watch the language uh, of white supremacy and calling something white supremacy. But, you know, when we build up this unbeatable enemy, I think that leads to apathy and makes a bunch of reactionaries, you know, where you're basically crying out in pain. You're not being proactive and what have you. Cause so some people be like, why should I register to vote? Because words, words do do matter. You're absolutely right. You know, so I see a lot of people. I why should I vote? It don't. It ain't gonna change nothing. Well, no, you have to look at the entire process. See, the entire process, the way people who are heavily invested in their power through politics, they train up these children in their young Democrats clubs, in in high school, in college, and and they're training the leaders of tomorrow, giving them internships with the Congress. We're not, as as black people, non-white people, I don't see them really operating on that level. Yeah, yeah, we don't. We really don't. We're we're really not astute in the in, in the in the arena of civics at all. We don't we don't know the difference between between a freeholder, much less much less much less than a, a council person. So uh, you're right about that aspect. But 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 in regards to the apathy that we've been displaying, you're right. Words do matter because you know constantly calling it a supremacy probably does create in our in our in our, in our subconscious. An image of something that is that is too big for us to overcome, at least at least for some, um, and and so you know so probably a different word could could be used to describe this thing. However, right now it, it is unfortunately reigning supreme. Uh, definitely, it has been uh, over uh, over uh, over this country, and it seems like it's in, it's infesting the rest of the globe. Uh, you know, if we look at you know the the population of black people in Australia that have all but pretty much disappeared, and, and other places around the world. And I tell people, if we continue in this manner. Don't you know? Let's not act like it can happen to 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 our continent of Africa when it, when it has already happened to the continent of Australia. 
So, so we have to. It's happened to Africa to as well. To, Ugandan prisons are pri Ugandan prisoners are picking cotton <laughs> for the open market in Uganda. Um, G4S, a UK-based so-called security company, which also operates prisons and in, in law enforcement capacities, largest employer in Africa. Um, that system you was talking about coming up with a different word, why not slavery? Why not call what it is? Especially when uh, academics have shown, my own study has shown that white supremacy is a symptom. What they call in racism, white supremacy is a symptom of slavery. So yeah, I say I, I call it the original. I what you did about that quote too. White white yeah, yeah, absolutely. But white supremacy is a symptom of, of slavery and not the other way around. That's what the I, record I might show. disagree with that. I might, I might disagree with is white supremacy is a symptom of slavery as opposed to slavery. Well, there was no uh, race well, I mean, racial I aspect before slavery. The race construct came in order to justify slavery. Right, and justify. And so, so, right, right, right. In that case, in that case, you're absolutely right. You know, looking at it that way, you're right. It was always about classism and, cla and economics, and and and, and to justify uh, the treatment of the people. They had to create this. Right, you're absolutely right about that. So, so I stand corrected there. Yeah, it's it's a surprising how many things start coming into a, a clearer image once you start looking at this as slavery, as a uh, crime against humanity that never ended when they said it ended, because it didn't. It literally went from the individual's hands being able to own human beings to the state hands doing the same exact thing. And today, in uh, the fullness of time, we see this happening all over the globe now, where literally anybody can go online and purchase stocks in prisons, which means you are literally purchasing people, because that's what their commodity is. Not the beds. The beds are just an instrument. The people lay on the beds. And you know, you know what's so, so right about that, and talking about the commodity, especially of, of, of black and brown bodies, uh, and, and, and sort of a sidestep to that, melanin is on the market is being traded on the open market just the same so much like our our entire body uh, is, is 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 on display bits and pieces and other and other and other attributes are actually being traded publicly traded on the market melanin is being publicly traded on the open market as we speak man that sounds and, like and, a, and a lot of and, story and, i saw it, it does it does sound like a twilight zone story however yet true and a lot of where they're getting some of these sources, as has been connected to and traced to, are these Planned Parenthood type or uh, uh, entities and stuff like that, where they are getting these melanin. So I mean, that's just another conversation, but only because we're, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, as far as trading on open market. Aspect, yeah. so, I'd like to right, back up and so say that is, again that I agree with you about your statement regarding the quote that she said in the video. And I think, think I had to think about it for a while, and I think it took a lot of courage for her to admit that, that I was so far gone in this American tragedy that I didn't realize. Mm. And it took for my son to be murdered for me to finally stand mm. up. And there's so many people in that position mm. right now 
that won't wake up until it happens to them. Until it happens to them. When it happens to them, they only care about them. And when their circumstances either solved or ended, they are no longer a part of this solution. Right. What what is uh, what I mean we I mean I guess I guess in the midst of all this, what is the cure for uh, 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 for uh, apathy? Like what Frederick is the Douglas cure said that. Frederick Douglass said I'm knowledge sorry? makes Frederick Douglass said knowledge makes a man or woman unfit to be a slave. Once you know something, you become responsible for what you know. What you know changes everything. Revolutions don't start in the street. They start in your mind when you change your mind but, about something. But you know, Max, and we do got another caller, but to Ian's I'm point... I'm sorry. Again, I'm a mute. Thank you very much. I love y'all, man. I appreciate this for oh, Thank welcome. you very much, Ian. Uh, Go to, ahead, Scotty. To Ian's point, though, did, apathy is a tough, tough nut to crack because when we started this six years ago, we were in our seventh season, I was thinking, man... All we got to do is point it, put this information in front of the people, and they will immediately be woken up to the fact that slavery was never abolished, and they we will see a wave of new abolitionists take hold in this country. To this point, I think we only number in maybe just under 5,000, but yet millions wow. have listened or seen the countless videos, podcasts, and live broadcasts heard the experts, the law professors, and what have you, break down the 13th Amendment, heard abolitionist candidates come on the air, running on the abolitionist platform, but yet, yet, we still got so many people apathetic, you know. So I I, I don't know. That's a tough nut to crack, but, you know, Malcolm X, upon the foundation that Black Talk Media Project was built, he said media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. So that goes to these documentaries that we've been discussing tonight that these individuals are are putting out. That comes to your 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 uh, internet radio show, your digital radio show, your terrestrial radio show, your podcasters, your your video on the YouTubes and other platforms that, you know, it, it's on us to keep producing better media that, you know, keeps it simple and hopefully like those you documentaries know, you mentioned. Yeah, those documentaries. So so but I, I have to agree with him. That's a tough nut to crack, man. There is one thing that I will disagree with, and that's only because I've been out there in the streets visually seeing and being a part of these things, but I think there's a great deal more than 5,000 abolitionists. Uh, and, and I don't mean hardcore, but people who are aware of the situation and do what they can in their own way to try to bring light to this and make a difference of it. Sound like we need to commission a poll or something. Uh, I, I think it's still but, it's still what my point is though there how many adults in this country at least 100 million 150 million we'll say half of the and so you know it should be more than in the thousands it should be at least a million just give me a million abolitionists (laughs) and i find it a little funny because i'm sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that our ancestors said the same thing because during the height of the abolitionist movement, only 5% of the nation were abolitionists. Only 5%. The other 45% were either were, were anti-slavery. And the other 50% were pro-slavery. And it was literally divided in half. 50% pro-slavery, 45% anti-slavery, and 5% 
abolitionist. So oh. we're doing about as good. <laughs> we're trying I, I, I to get know. as good I, I can't, at least. Qua- I you can't know, quantify that. I, I have to get one of these polls uh, starts to do like a telephone survey. You know what I'm saying? It's just hard. But moving on, though, we do got another caller, area code 202. Uh, you're on New Abolitionist Radio with Max and, and yours truly, Scotty. What's your name? And go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, this is Sharon Smith. How are you? Hey, hey Sharon. Uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Hi, Radio. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Yeah. Well, I've been enjoying the conversation, but I just wanted to interject a little something on the issue of um, apathy. If we okay. go by the, if we go on the theory that consciousness plus commitment equal change, we're having a breakdown between the consciousness raising piece and the commitment piece. And I feel like the thing that's been standing in the way of people making a commitment to do stuff that makes change once they have had their consciousness raised is probably fear, just pure fear and trauma. Because we've all been traumatized by, you know, colonialism and white supremacy and slavery and genocide and all that stuff. People are just, you know, most people are going to take the path of least resistance and try to think about it as little as possible because it's so traumatizing just to get through the day. So it isn't until something disastrous happens to them that they realize that they cannot no longer afford to pretend that it's not happening. And I would say, Sharon, part of that trauma is inflicted by the media. You oh, know, it did very crucial part to the mental programming. That's why they call it programming. So we're, we're up, yes. we're up against that. So it's many variables yes. to this, to this problem. Yes. That's why I said it's a tough nut to crack. There's yeah. a lot of desensitization involved too. Like I yes. know for a fact that me, Max Parthas, I have seen more deaths of my people than all my ancestors combined. And I haven't literally had to be there to do it. I've seen it through video. I see snuff films six, eight times a week. Police kill this guy. Police kill that one. Police kill that And I watch these every week. And that makes me very cognizant of my position in history, that I've seen this more than any of my ancestors all combined, even the ones that were involved in wars. And that has to do something to somebody's psyche. I know it did something to mine, and I fight to not be desensitized. I have to be desensitized to a certain degree as a general in an army, so to speak. I have to think on a big scale, and I understand that people are going to die, children are going to be murdered, women are going to be raped. All of these bloody things are going to happen. But, and I can't be, you know, I can't say, okay, I quit every time somebody dies. I just can't do that. You know what I mean? So I have to continue on. So I have to de- be desensitized to a small degree. But the way they're doing it now with media, uh, oh, people 16 oh, years oh. old have seen thousands of deaths already. Oh, oh. Once you get all of that in your system, it becomes normalized. We normalize anything. It's amazing what we will adapt to as normal, everyday activity. So yeah, there's a, a lot of answers to that question. A lot of reasons why people are being desensitized, and a lot of reasons why people are just ignoring it or whatever. Me, I, oh. I put a lot of it on cowardice, and I don't say that in an in an insulting way. I mean that there was a buck breaking system in play. There's been a system to break us in play for 500 years. How do you think we're going to turn out? 
after 500 mm -hmm. years of breaking and indoctrination and being lied to and manipulated and abused and used for 500 years, that has an effect. That's true. Anybody want to uh, get in on that? No, but I, I like your term in describing this system as butt breaking. Yes, it, it definitely is butt breaking, women breaking, children breaking. It's it's creating a lot of broken families. Yes, and you know we're we lean towards education here. That's more what we lean to. We feel like knowledge is enough to make a difference, and we 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 use that. But yeah. even you know uh, Frederick Douglass said the same thing. You just said a little bit earlier. He said it's easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Because there's some people out there that ain't going to never get any better. They're going to live and die just as they are right now. And there's a lot of them like that. Right. Uh -huh. uh, Ian wants to chime back in. Go ahead, Ian. Uh, I, I may have pressed that accidentally. I was logging back in because I got logged out accidentally. Uh, but, 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 but to the young lady's point, that there's something that you guys were saying, well, being, being that I'm here, I might as well say something. Um, uh, because, because fear cannot be, we can't continue to let, fear, fear is not an acceptable excuse. And people need to understand something, and I, and I often say this uh, uh, on the radio, is that people uh, misconstrue what actually what what a courage is, and I believe Frederick, uh, I mean Franklin Roosevelt, uh, had to quote, uh, "Courage is not the absence of fear, uh, but rather one's ability to to uh, to uh, basically uh, to move forward in spite of it." And 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 I and I always equate, and I and I and I and I and I state, for for example, firemen would be insane not to be afraid of the fire. They would be insane not to be afraid of the fire, knowing the damage that the fire can do. But they, but they choose to make a decision that they want to go in and save a life or do what is necessary, and they know in, in the process of doing that, they may be risking their own life. However, their choice to go ahead into the fire, face the fire, and perform the act and try to save somebody uh, is something that they choose to do, and that's the act of being of being, of being uh of courageous. The opposite of being uh, courageous is is being cowardice, and they both encompass fear. One chooses one is one 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 disallows a person to move. One dis you know cowardice has a person standing like a like like a deer in the in the darn headlights, mm -hmm. and courage allows you to move forward. So so after a while, we can't. I mean. Fear, it, it, it can't be the excuse. It, it, it definitely should not be an acceptable one, uh, you know, for us. And, and I always call upon us, men in the community, like, hey, our responsibility is to make sure we do protect our communities, in particular for our, for our, for our women and children. So, so, uh, so for us, coward is not an option. We don't have the option to be a coward. And, and, and in regards to these documentaries, the documentary that uh, Jay-Z produced and the family, I've often said on my radio, and, and I kind of paraphrase something that uh, Professor James Small said, I mean, I don't understand, I don't, I, you know, I'm not doing a documentary. It, it, my son, we're not doing a documentary. The next documentary, 
if there is a documentary, it's going to include me behind bars because because Zimmerman would have been out by now, and nothing to talk about because our responsibility it's our it's our duty uh, 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 to uh, to revenge our child to our own flesh and blood. I'm not I'm not ha- I'm not doing no documentary. I'm not I'm not having no press conference. You know you know like the, like the, like the, you know I'm not having no press conference talking about well. My son, who was shot down because of the stand your ground law, I'm not doing none of that. I'm going to smile. I'm going to let my family make sure my my darn affairs are in order, and then I'm going to go find dude myself, and and then and then I'm a, and then I'm going to be behind the bars or something. But but that's not going down no more. We have we you know and there there is only two things. Fear of slavery is a great respect. deterrent. Has, has, I'm sorry if I'm on a tangent. There are only two things our enemy has always respected. One one is the power of the money, you know, when you get and hurt their pockets, and the other is blood. Those are the only two things they respect. They're not trying to lose no blood, and they're not trying to, and they're, they're not trying to lose no money. And as soon as we got to figure out which one is which, that we need to go ahead and attack these brothers on, because they're standing idly by and walking around, walking around Jericho's walls seven times to expect it to fall down, is not working for us. We, we we are marched out. We are marched Amen. out. Well, I, so, I mean, I, I, well, we ahead, hope I'm it sorry. don't come. And I apologize. I do not mean, to, you know, to like take you know, over. I understand. I, yeah, I'm, but I, know, let, let me say this, though, about the parents or what have you. You, you had to deal with that loss in the most constructive way based on you as an individual. Uh, everybody don't have, have that coverage, that courage to go out, or they don't have it in them to take a life. Everybody just, just they don't have that in them. So, you know, I cert, I certainly, I'm not gonna say I will be the one if 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 it went down like how that went down. Uh, but certainly, you know, do would come up missing like on some Dexter type stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, I'm try- I, I hear you. But, <laughs> I hear you. But because hey, I'm not going to slavery, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid I'm a slavery. I tell you, I was, I was, I was a certified, you know, uh, in that in that uh, in that uh, A2 service weapon, uh, you know. So, hey, from 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 a prone position, 500 yards away, my man could get hit. So that's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not going for that. Not my child. But I'm not doing this. But, but then again, but then again, on that note. We should all be taking the same stance. Like, it, it, everybody's child is still. If, if if we're thinking as the as the as the as the village, that child is our child. George Zimmerman should not feel should not be comfortable. Just as an example, I don't want because I don't because I don't know who is who is listening. Uh, George Zimmerman should not be comfortable walking around. He should he should not be comfortable thinking he should have. He should have CIA like darn you know security with him on 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 a daily basis to even to even go to the bathroom. I don't understand. I don't understand how he's at gun shows signing autographs and this that, and the other. And he's in the news every other week. Now he he even had the nerve to stalk to stalk the darn guy that was uh, yep. that was part of this documentary. Awesome. I mean to have the gall to do that. You're comfortable when you're still doing stuff like that. You're you're comfortable. And I right. I don't understand it, and I've called out these these uh, these uh, some, some of our young some of our young misguided brothers who are out here who are out here shooting shoot, shooting up each other, 
And I'm like, y'all got, I said, I said, I don't want to hear about another shooting. And I said, there should be no more shootings anywhere in Florida, you know, by, by, from, from one black man to another. There should be another shooting in Chicago. There should be another shooting in Milwaukee. There should be another shooting nowhere because we have white people walking around, racists walking around with the, with the, with the, with the, with the gall and with the courage that they can shoot you and get away with it. And, and and they have and they get to do that, but you but you got Pookie and Ray 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 afraid to come out the house because 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 they got because they got beef because they got beef with Hassan down the street, yeah. and that's and that's retarded for me. Yeah, uh, I'm that's sorry, I mean, Ian. But Ian, we we got to cut you I'm short. Sorry. Am I, am we, I preaching? I'm sorry. Yeah, we, <laughs> I'm sorry. we have to we have to take <laughs> we 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 have to take our break. My bad. Please cut the sermon off. A couple of segments to do, and this is the, the crunch time. When we, we finally get the last few stories out. Sometimes all we get is headlines. Uh, as always, the conversation is ongoing. It's been ongoing going into our seventh season now. Yeah, and Max, it's always about the same topic. Yeah, I was just going to tell Ian to check out the uh, podcast on Black Talk Radio Network dot com, Real Life Radio. Their last podcast, those conversations were being had. Also on Tando Radio Show, the past two podcasts, um, uh, not today's podcast, but uh, Mondays and Tuesdays where we were uh, debating open carry. Why aren't we? I live in open carry, North Carolina. Um, You know, what kind of deterrent would it be to those type of people you're talking about that's walking around with guns thinking they could just kill us and get away with it and there be you know no no resistance whatsoever um you know vast majority of people i would say black people have been conditioned to reject firearms and get behind you know the anti-second amendment type stuff and fall for that political propaganda coming from you know those um who think that um banning guns is going to stop killings so you know it's just ridiculous so but we but we do need to move yes, I'm on sorry. last one i promise last one all right um, uh there, there is a there is an organization naga national uh uh association for i, I believe I, I believe it's a black organization yeah we've had uh, we've had uh, those organizations on the network on the various programs the Black Gun Clubs right, and, and and what have right. you, Huey Newton Club, Gun Club. Yeah. Yep. Because 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 the NRA ain't for us at all. So I just yeah, need to say that. Okay, I'm done. I'm not gonna preach them. I'm done. I'm done. I, I've actually uh, marched with the Huey Newton Gun Club when they were here in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, we were fighting against the KKK that <clears throat> were holding their rallies here and literally kicked their asses out of town. I'd like to add to anyone listening. Uh, and is interested, we have a huge archive of podcasts that are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, for instance, Brother Iron, you can listen to last week's podcast where we talked about the first uh, uh, rendition of the Emancipation Proclamation and we read it out loud for everybody to hear it. So, we like to believe that we have the largest uh, database of information on this particular topic found anywhere in the world. So uh, check it out. It's it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the Black Talk Radio Network. Just click uh, New Abolitionist Radio Podcast and you can find it there. Scotty? All right. We'll be right back after these messages.
Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Hey, so welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio right here on Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, you're listening to Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and our, our guests and listeners here conversating today about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. This is our final last half hour, and uh, we've still got two more segments to go. But before that, I want to speed... Uh, speed rush some stories out there uh, that you should be aware of. Uh, is that okay with you, Scotty? Or is there something that you want to cover before that? Oh, uh, no. Go for it, Max. All right. Um, well, the first thing is some data that has come, in, come out uh, in the past year, and it's the first database that tracks America's criminal cops. Yeah, that's exactly what it tracks, and it's the first one. And some of the data that uh, has come out of this, uh, I'll read to you right now. According to the Henry A. Wallace Police Crime Database, in the seven-year period between 2005 and 2012, 359 police were arrested for forcible rape, 578 police were arrested for forcible fondling, 1,019 were arrested for official misconduct, violation of the oath, and official oppression. I don't even know what that is, official oppression, but it sounds nasty, and they did it. 580 were arrested on narcotics charges, 717 were arrested for assault, 1,216 were arrested for drunk driving, 442 were arrested for weapons violations, and those are just the people who were charged, the on-duty officers who were charged. No one knows how many the Blue Wall has kept quiet. Scotty? Yeah, that sounds like some uh, worthwhile work similar to you know the databases the first one that i saw and we interviewed them was uh uh chuck from killed by police which is still operating killed by police.net which tracks police shootings fatalities um from these slave catchers um so yeah great work man worthwhile work um creating such a database to keep track of their crime those are some huge numbers man and, you know, I wonder, um, I bet you the majority, I would like to see if they mentioned domestic violence, because according to a couple of women's organizations that focus on, on one, the, um, you know, um, usually husband on wife or boyfriend on girlfriend brutality that cops are, are I think, likely for, um, what, 40 percent 
or four times more likely, four times more likely to be engaged in domestic violence, terrorizing their family. That includes children as well. And um, so I wonder, um, you know, how many of those the blue wall has kept kept silent? Well, the data is available if you want to read it or anybody wants to check it out. I know that I read there was like 1,300 who had been arrested for simple assault. So maybe those were included in there as well. But here's what I want to see. I want to take this uh, microcosm, uh, this this data of police arrests and why they were arrest, arrested and compare it to the general public. I want to see which one is higher, who has the higher rates of certain things. So I'm looking forward to doing that in the coming weeks myself. So, um, And then the next story that I want to get through real quick is I should title these things Tales in Kidnapping and Extortion. The Northwest, Northwest Arkansas's Democrat reports on the upcoming launch of a remote video visitation system in Benton County, Arkansas, <laughs> that will cost 50 cents a minute in 15-minute increments. The jail will no longer allow in-person visits, the only free way to visit inmates for those who are not attorneys. People who want to visit the inmates can now use their home computer to access smartjailmail.com. A spokesperson for the sheriff's office told the Democrat that eliminating in-person visits will decrease contraband and free up employees who had to monitor such visits. It would also be easier for friends and family members who had to travel long distances to visit inmates. And that's quote unquote, the end of that part of the article. I'll just add that what they are doing now is basically uh, selling the images of your family members and loved ones back to you for 50 cents a minute. It's freaking exploitation, just complete exploitation. And it allows them to do the other part of our uh, our fight here on New Abolitionist, New Abolitionist Radio, which is fighting against legalized human trafficking. And what I say, uh, what I mean by human trafficking is, for instance, the state of Vermont ships their prisoners off to Michigan and states all from all over the country, including Hawaii, send their prisoners off to Nevada or Arizona. Oh, that's human trafficking. I mean, you didn't commit any crime in Nevada. Why the hell are you in Nevada? But this allows them to be able to put them anywhere in the world that they want to put them in their prison facilities and then sell their images to you. All right. The next story, unless anybody wants to comment on that, because uh, that's that's a bad thing. <laughs> if you want to comment on that, feel free. Scotty? No, Max, I, I don't have any comment. I thought you were just going to go through them, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going through them quick, but some of them things you might want to comment on. In any case, the next one then would be, a Florida cop says he framed two black men at the direction of police chief. And one of the quotes out of the article says, former Biscayne Park Police Chief Ramundo Atisenio, or whatever, has been accused of encouraging his staff to pin unsolved crimes on random nearby black people so his 12 person department would have a better arrest record you can read that on new abolitionist radio that is some of that bs we'd be talking about and then in another one uh southport police chief has been arrested and the entire police department has been put on leave and that's in the port city daily uh that covers it for my speed run scotty uh best that we just go ahead into our final segments was there one of the uh abolitionist or the writer that you wanted to cover this evening? I have the uh, abolitionist up if you want to do the writer. 
I'm sorry, Max, this is a delay on me unmuting myself. Uh, I said I just pulled up the abolitionists, um, if you want me to go into it, this uh, article from the Daily News online, um, Historical Horizons, Warsaw, once a hotbed of abolitionism. Max, you there? Uh, we're not, I don't think we're able to hear Max. Okay. All right, so this is the abolitionist uh, in profile. Um, it's showing the headstone of Mary Eliza and William Burke Hart. Uh, Mary Eliza, 1842, died May 6, 1898. William, born in 1843, died December 23rd, 1913. And this article, it goes, um, it's some research. It says, recently I was doing research on a mid-19th century abolitionist sentiment in Elmira when I came across several mentions of strong anti-slavery activity in Warsaw. So we're talking about in Europe, um, which uh, for those who uh, read up on the abolitionists, you know, like Frederick Douglass, for example, was financially supported. They raised funds, just like we see that stuff going on today. Uh, Ireland uh, was one of his benefactors. Um, it says, this was surprising to me since I already knew that Batavia tended to be hostile to abolitionists at that time. This, I thought, deserved further attention. New York State abolished slavery on fittingly July 4th, 1827, inspired by the creation of a national society. Leading figures in Warsaw sought to create their own organization in 1833 or 1834. In his story of the town of Warsaw, Andrew White Young wrote that the great object of the abolitionists was by the discussion of the subject and exhibition of the evils of slavery to produce a public sentiment at the North, which would induce its abolition by the states in which it existed. So exactly what we've been talking about earlier when we're talking about efforts like in Colorado to remove the slavery exception clause in the state constitution. And then from there, you know, you proceed um, with the legal actions. Uh, it goes on to say, but the organization of such a group was a trial in itself. An attempt to hold a meeting at the county courthouse in Batavia was met with resistance and scorn. Before the abolitionist society meeting got underway, a delegation of 50 men interrupted the proceedings and delivered a resolution opposed to the organization of the society in Batavia. Uh, suggesting that they would not be held responsible for any unfortunate occurrences, threatening people's lives. See, that's how serious they are about keeping slavery in place. Uh, should the abolitionists hold their meeting? Uh, despite the resolution of the Batavia delegation, the Warsaw Abolitionist Society began its meeting, but was for forced to adjourn when it was interrupted by loud protests and minor rioting. On March Man, it's a lot to be reading. Um, I'm still not sure uh, where this is, 
On March 22nd, 1836, the Warsaw Abolitionist Society was formally organized as the Genesee County Abolitionist Society. Warsaw was then in Genesee County. Meeting in Warsaw and they established a newspaper in pursuance of their goals, the American citizen. So this has to be has to be immigrants here in the United States. Okay. In eight, 1939, there was an effort to create a political party from a core of Western New York abolitionists. Despite much debate, the group ultimately formed and endorsed James G. Bernie for president. The disagreement that rent the convention created permanent divisions in the ranks of New York abolitionists. The rise, man, I was just talking about these people the other day, uh, earlier, when I was talking about the Free Soil Democrats. They came out of the Free Soil Party, uh, talking about the formation of the Republican Party. The rise of the Free Soil Party in 1848 drew the support of many Western New York abolitionists. At a convention in Buffalo in August, former President Martin Van Buren was nominated for president, and Charles Francis Adams, the son of John Quincy Adams. I think we uh, um, profiled John Quincy Adams as an abolitionist. Um, was nominated for vice president. Resolutions were also passed against the extension of slavery into any territory acquired from Mexico. The Free Soil Party enjoyed little success, and when it folded, many adherents. I'm sorry, we're getting some some background noise from from somewhere. Okay, I, I think that was Max. Uh, as we had, he's no longer uh, called in through his computer. Uh, where was I? Um, the Free Soil Party, okay, they didn't want to extend slavery into the territory that they acquired from Mexico after the end of that war with Mexico. All right, that's where we are. The Free Soil Party enjoyed little success, and when it folded, many adherents would migrate to the new Republican Party in the 1850s. Actually, it was some Whigs and Free Soil Democrats. It was a Democratic Party that created the Republican Party. As part of the political settlement that averted civil war after the conclusion of the Mexican War, a new fugitive slave law was passed in 1850. Deeply unpopular in Warsaw, I wonder, in, now in Wyoming County, many residents vowed not to obey it. That the people of Warsaw were serious about opposing the Fugitive Slave Act was demonstrated by their sheltering of runaway slave Mary Douglas, a.k.a. Mary Jones, a slave in the area near Washington, D.C. Mary Sell sought the help of a local farm merchant. She was about to be sold apart from her seven-year-old daughter and wanted to escape if it was possible. Mary found a sympathetic friend in the farmer who immediately set to work constructing a farm wagon with a false bottom in which he could hide Mary and her daughter. After lining it with straw, water, and food, the passengers were secured in the cramped compartment in their journey. After more than 20 days of difficult travel, the wagon and passengers arrived in Warsaw. So we're in Wyoming at the home of Isaac Phelps. Uh, mother and daughter were a bit worse for wear, but they soon recovered. In fact, just a few months later, Mary gave birth to a son. Unfortunately, she suffered from tuberculosis, uh, uh, to, to I'm sorry, tongue-tied there, and succumbed to it about a year later. Her daughter, Eliza, was raised by the family of Alan Breck, the boy William will be cared for by the D.C. Martin family in Warsaw. Many years later, Eliza married a local barber named William Bungard. 
Together, they would raise four children in Warsaw, where Eliza was well-known for her cooking talent right up to her death in 1898. Last paragraph, Eliza Burkhart and her husband were buried in unmarked graves in the Warsaw Cemetery in the early 2000s. Sympathetic folks in Warsaw raised money for the purchase of a dignified headstone, which now graces the grave. I was unable to determine where Eliza Mother's Mary is buried. So, New Abolitionist Radio salutes the um, all the different individuals who were uh, part of this story that we just read, uh, particularly the Warsaw Abolitionist Society, which I'm looking that up right now because I was thinking it was in 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 Europe. Um, it was uh, Warsaw, New York, is where it was founded. Okay, all right, Max, are you? Do we have you back? All right, there's Max. Uh, can you board. hear me? Yes, can, we can hear can you. Can you hear me, Scotty? I hear you now. Oh, awesome. I, I'm sorry I lost power. My computer just suddenly shut down on itself and I had to restart it up. So I'm back. And I picked that uh, abolitionist in profile this week, the whole group, uh, for a variety of reasons. Not only that, in many cases, were they not people of color who were literally risking their lives for uh, the freedom of everyone, but they also presented their own presidential candidate, very much like we're hoping to do ourselves. All right, well, our next segment and final segment is our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. And we call them that because there are people out there like the Innocence Projects and many others who fight every day to help free the innocent who have been falsely incarcerated. And this week, a Brooklyn man who spent the last 24 years behind bars walked free this last Friday after a judge tossed out the indictment that put him there. Brooklyn Supreme Court Justice Shereen Hudson ordered Sean Williams' case dismissed and his immediate release after prosecutors joined the defense motion asking the jurors to set aside Williams' conviction and vacate the original indictment. Williams is the 14th overturned conviction linked to retired NYPD detective Louis Scarcella, a once-renowned officer who in recent years has faced allegations of misconduct by a number of sense-freed people he put away. I would like to thank my lawyers for helping me achieve this great victory today, Williams 41 said outside court. After 20-something years incarcerated, I finally get the opportunity to relive my life as a free man. It was a long and hard-fought battle. I was sent to prison for a crime I didn't commit. My childhood friend was murdered, and I was framed for it. Williams has been held in the upstate Clinton Correctional Facility since he was convicted in 1994, right around the same time that Hillary Clinton was talking about super predators, for the fatal shooting of his neighbor and pal Marvin Mason in 1993. The case against Williams began to fall apart in 2013 after defense attorney Victor Howe of Cleary uh, Golderlieb and associates with the Legal Aid Society tracked down the sole eyewitness to the Crown Heights slaying. The eyewitness, Margaret Smith, recanted her testimony, claiming she'd been coerced into naming Williams by Scarcello, who maintained his innocence. Prosecutors Friday didn't mention Scarcella, simply saying Smith was in very ill health and uncooperative, and that they would not retry his case. While Mr. Williams can never have his years of wrongful incarceration returned to him, we hope that he and his family can find some measure of peace in this vindication, said Howe. 
And we here at New Abolitionist Radio would like to say welcome to freedom. Welcome to freedom. Freedom. Word. 24 years. Again, Scarcella, this guy, uh, that's the 14th that's made it through the system and the people have been free. You, you know, uh, They're a, talking about there's dozens of people in behind bars behind this guy. You know, and we were just talking about people like George Zimmerman, but, you know, we have individuals walking around that are responsible for throwing so many people in, in the slavery unjustifiably. You know, not that there's a justification for slavery. We're supposed to be rehabilitating, providing correction, but it's really all about slavery. And, you know, especially when you're ignoring the people's humanity and don't um, uh, respect or recognize their human rights, let alone American citizenship uh, in, in this country. But Scar Sellerman, he has been, it pro- it, man, we did a, a database of our own of the dirty cops that we have talked about connected to various cases of people getting uh, set free. Scar Sell will probably be in the top three. His name. Yeah, him and the guy out there in Chicago that did the same with like 95 people. Oh, there's a lot of them out there. You'd be surprised. There was a time. In John Burge. John Burge. John Burge. Yeah. Yes, John Burge. Uh, there's a number of them, man, and it's a damn shame because each one of them is responsible for entire communities being destroyed. Well, we're here at the end of our program. There's only a couple minutes left. Scotty, uh, any final comments for tonight? Um, my final comment would be is just to keep continue to sow the seeds of abolitionists in your daily conversations. If you're in media, make it a part of your media programming, and let's just keep advancing, um, you know, abolitionist ideology in hopes that for some people it will move them beyond their apathy to take action, whatever that action may be. Max. Uh, indeed, Scotty. I'd like to say thank you to uh, Otis Griffin and to Brother Ian for calling in and participating in the conversation and everybody that participates in this ongoing conversation. It's something we need to talk about because it's really hard to talk about uh, reform or anything to do with prison or uh, brutality through police without talking about the 13th Amendment. How can you skip that? Because it has everything to do with it. And uh, we here know that. And we also know one other thing. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes.